0: Good morning. Our reading this morning is from Exodus thirty-nine, thirty-two through 43. If you'll please stand with me as we read and reference the word. Thus all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting was finished, and the people of Israel did according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses. So they did. Then they brought the tabernacle to Moses, the tent and all its utensils, its hooks, its frames, its bars, its pillars, and its bases, the covering of tanned ram skins and goat skins, and the veil of the screen, the ark of the testimony with its poles and the mercy seat, the table with all its utensils and the bread of the presence, the lamp set and all its utensils, and the oil for the light. The golden altar, the anointing oil, and the fragrance, incense, and the screen for the entrance of the tent. The bronze altar and its grating of bronze, its poles and all its utensils, the basin and its stand. The hangings of the court, its pillars and its bases, and the screen for the gate of the court, its cords and its pegs, and all the utensils for the service of the tabernacle for the tent of meeting, the finely worked garments for ministering in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron the priest and the garments of his sons for their service as priests, according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses. So the people of Israel had done all the work, and Moses saw all the work, and behold, they had done it as the Lord had commanded. So had they done it. Then Moses blessed them.
1: You guys can go ahead and be seated unless you just want to stand. uh, It might be hard for those in the back to see, but... um, Well, if you have been with us this fall, we've been walking through the book of Exodus and we are near the end. We're going to try to tackle five whole chapters here uh, on this day because we're coming to a point in the book where a lot of the details are being repeated a, a second time. Uh, to just catch everybody up to speed very, very quickly, uh, the verse that Emmeline just read is verse 32 at the beginning of that. It says, thus all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting... Was finished, and the people of Israel did according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so they did. That statement is pregnant with meaning for these people. May not have caught your attention as we were reading it just now, but it was a huge moment in the history of God's people because uh, basically the story of Exodus is this. At the beginning, God's people are enslaved in Egypt. And they are then rescued by his grace. You probably know some of those details as the waters are parted and the plagues come, and God leads his people out to himself to Mount Sinai, where they receive the law and this promise of a future. But while they are out there, they are, uh, now that they're rescued, they're, they're renewed through this process of, of building a tabernacle, a place for God himself to dwell. And as that verse uh, we just read tells us, They completed it. They finished the work. That's what we're going to look at today. And we can all appreciate the joy of completing a project. The kids that are in the room right now are probably about two-thirds of the way through a project that at the end of this service they're going to present to mom and dad Uh, This is what they were drawing during the service. And you know the look on a child's face uh, when they are excited about what they've completed and they're excited to bring that work before someone that matters to them and and get their approval. That's essentially what's happening in this passage is God's people are completing the work they have done and they're bringing it before the Lord. And Moses is kind of this inspector who's going to give God's opinion on it. Now, if we were to put the book of Exodus into a movie, uh, these five chapters would be like a song interlude. You know those moments in a movie where the plot is advanced very quickly and there's music in the background, there's no dialogue. You just see a lot of stuff happen. That's what these five chapters would be like because there are very few new things here. Most of what we would have read if we read chapter 35, verse 1 through the end of 39, is a lot of stuff we've seen already in the book of Exodus. Uh, In fact, the way it breaks down is like this. In chapter 25 through 31, Moses receives instructions for how to build this tabernacle, this place where God himself is going to dwell among the people. And then in chapter 35 through 39, the people put those instructions into action. A lot of the details are the exact same, But they're obeying God and they're putting into action what he has told them to do. And I think there's a lot we can learn from their example. So what I want to do is just start by briefly going over those five chapters and giving kind of an overview of what's in there. And then we're going to land in a few particular places to help us look at four principles for God honoring work. Because ultimately what we're seeing here, if we were watching this movie play out and there was a peppy song in the background and we were seeing the details unfold, is we're seeing the people of God work in a way that honors the Lord. And each and every one of us in this room have a similar call in our own lives where God has given us work to do. And I think there are things we can learn from them about how to do that work in a way that honors God. So that's that's the plan for the morning. Let's start with the overview Uh, If you go back to chapter 35, we'll just kind of thumb through the pages pretty quickly here. Again, remember at the beginning of the book, though, we won't go all the way back there, but at the beginning of the book, the people were enslaved and they were actually working then. They were working to build a city, a couple of cities, in fact, for Pharaoh, building these cities for his glory. Now they are free. They've been rescued, but they're still working. And so what we see is that their work didn't end at the moment of salvation, but instead, The salvation transformed their work. And I think that's some of what we have to experience as followers of Jesus today if we're to to do our work in a way that honors the Lord. We can't just go back to work on Monday morning with the same attitude as we had the day before if any of what we're doing here is real. It has to transform how we approach the, the days of our labor. And so uh, the people are working, they're now building a structure and this structure is going to be for the glory of God. And remember, it's actually a grace that they made it this far. We looked a couple weeks ago at that that famous incident in chapter 32 where they bow to the golden calf. And there's a moment where all of their future is kind of hanging in the balance and we're wondering if it's going to play out in their favor. God threatens first to destroy them and then he threatens to withdraw his presence from among them. And we know that this book could have ended in a very, very different way. Uh, It could have ended with the people not going forward. It could have ended with the people going forward without their God. But instead, they are building the tabernacle and they're celebrating its completion. And so this section here, it, it highlights their obedience and God's faithfulness. Their obedience because they're doing what God said in place of what they did when they built the golden calf. But then God's faithfulness because he is in allowing them to build the tabernacle. He's establishing his permanent presence among them. So remember, last week began with, will God go with them? This week is is beginning with, they completed the home for which God will now dwell and go with them. That's his answer to that question. He will forever be with his people now through this tabernacle. And so, as I mentioned, as you go through 35, 36, 37, 38, there's this repetition of all these details. And it really underscores, again, their obedience and God's faithfulness, as we'll see. Uh, The people are going to contribute in a lot of different ways. The appointed leaders are going to oversee the work, as God told them to do. And then each item is going to be instructed, as it said in the text, according to all that the Lord had commanded. That phrase is repeated seven times in chapter 39 and seven more in chapter 40. It's a big deal to Moses. He wants you to know, as the reader, we did what God told us to do. And so this whole scene is, a, is really a sweet moment in Israel's history. That The project that God commissioned has come together And there's a celebration coming. Uh, Today we want to see what we can learn from how they completed it. What was it that they were doing that God eventually delighted in? Because at the end of the text, Emmeline read, they bring all of what they've done before Moses, and Moses blesses them, indicating that the Lord is pleased with their work. Again, I think that's a very important question for all of us to ask, because I'm standing this morning speaking out to a room full of workers, we're workers because we're human. Work is fundamental to being human. Right, when, when God created man and woman, He gave them immediately things to do. In Genesis 1, before sin entered the world, they had jobs. They had responsibilities. They were to tend to the garden. They were to have dominion over the earth. And when sin enters the world, in Genesis chapter 3, it doesn't create work. It's not as if work is a curse or a consequence because people sinned what happens is sin spoils the work. It makes it difficult. And it makes it harder for us to ask questions like, how do we go to work in a way that honors God? See, it's hard on this side of the fall. It's hard with sin in our hearts. So what we want to do is we want to think about how can we connect what we would read here in these pages with the projects playing out in your own life? I mean, the things that you're responsible for, the things that you're maybe tempted to let your mind drift toward this morning as you think about what you've got to do as soon as you get to the office tomorrow, or maybe later tonight when you clock in, or tomorrow evening when you go to work, or, you know, kids thinking about going back to school or whatever it is that your task might be, how do we approach those tasks, how do we approach that work in a way that would delight the Lord? And so I want to point out four principles here we see from the text. I'm just going to land at a few points to, uh, to kind of illustrate this. Here's the first one if you're taking notes. We find it at the beginning of chapter 35. The Lord is pleased when His people balance work and rest. The Lord is pleased when His people balance work and rest. So if you go to chapter 35 and, and you begin in verse 1, this is kind of an interesting thing. It says, Moses assembled all the congregation of the people of Israel, and he said to them, these are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. Now it, Remember in the moment here, they're about to set off on this massive project and you're expecting that the next verse is maybe going to begin the work. But instead, Moses says, six days work shall be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. So before embarking on this enormous project, God reminds his people to take appropriate breaks. I find that really fascinating. This is how the instructions about the tabernacle ended, and that's how the story about how the tabernacle was made is going to begin. It seems that God wants His people to both work hard, but also practice a sense of balance that is good for them. So He says, you're to work six days, and you're to rest on the seventh, following His own pattern in creation. What we see here would have been a gift to these people. They were formerly slaves of Pharaoh. I don't think Pharaoh gave them the seventh day off. They were working round the clock all the time as slaves. And so God in His grace is saying, I want you to have a kind of balance that you've never before experienced in your life. I want you to work hard and then I want you to rest well. And this balance is meant to be a gift to God's people. And I think as we're reading this today, and we're going to get into this more this summer as we go back to the Ten Commandments and look at the Sabbath in particular, I don't take take these Old Testament regulations to sit upon the New Testament people in the exact same way. I don't think they carry over fully. But I think there's a principle here that says God expects His people to work and He also commands them to rest because He recognizes rest is good for us and it's actually key to doing good work. In other words... You were not created to go full speed all the time. Now, in saying that, I know there are two kinds of people in this room. Some of you are a little bit too inclined to rest, right? And so you don't even hear that first part, and you're like, exactly. (laughs) We need to rest. Everybody is asking too much of me. The professors are crazy. My boss is mean. And we all need to just chill and rest some more. So make sure you hear both sides of it. God created us to work hard, and then rest, not the other way around, and, and there, there is to be both. But now some of us, and notice I switched the pronoun there to include myself, uh, some of us, when we hear that, that you were created to work hard and to rest, we kind of know that in our mind, but in our heart we think, yeah, but that doesn't really apply to me. Not in this season. I've just got too much going on. I've got too many projects up in the air. I'll rest later when I get all this stuff done. And and to us, you guys and me, we need to hear that the Lord actually commands his people to rest. That part of honoring God with our labor is to recognize that he expects us to work hard, but also to rest well, to be restored, that we could work even harder and better and more efficiently in the future. And so at the beginning of this project, the people, they have plenty to do. They are very busy. They're a long way from completing all of the work. And yet at the beginning, Moses reminds the people that in order to honor this command, they have to not only work in the days ahead, but they also need to take appropriate rest. I think part of what God is underlining for His people there is He's He's pointing out to them, and maybe He would point this out to you this morning, is that when we fail to rest, we fail to acknowledge our dependence on the Lord. And we we really deceive ourselves about our own limitations. I'm not the one who needs rest. I've just got too much to do. There is too much in this wide world resting on my shoulders for me to possibly take an afternoon off. That's actually self-deceptive talk right there. And so at the very front of it, God is wanting to protect His people and again graciously commands them to rest as they are working. So first principle is the Lord is pleased when His people balance work, and rest. The second one comes in the verses that follow there. We'll call it the Lord is pleased when His people cheerfully give. The Lord is pleased when His people cheerfully give. So if you just look at the next verse there, it says Moses, remember he's got all the people together here. He said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded take from among you a contribution to the Lord. So basically he's going to command all the people to contribute to this work of building the tabernacle. But there's a caveat there in verse five. He says, whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. And then that phrase is going to be repeated time and time again throughout this passage. Moses is commanding the people to give if their heart is in it. Now, somebody should have stopped Moses at this time and told him that this was a really poor fundraising strategy. Right? This is not how you raise money. You don't say to, allow, or to a large group of people, if any of you guys want to give, you know, we'd love to have your help. You, you, know, you, you find the wealthy people and you sort of target them. Right? And, and you don't say just give whatever you feel like giving. You don't say follow your heart when money's on the line, right? You, you make suggestions like, would you like to give $100 or $500, $1,000 to this great cost? You know I mean? This is not how we typically raise funds. And yet it's exactly what Moses does in this moment. I'm not saying that kind of stuff is always wrong. But I think it's fascinating here that Moses leaves it up to the people. He wants their giving to come from the heart, and not from this command uh, to sit upon them. I think Paul explains it to us when he's reflected on this very passage in 2 Corinthians 9. And he says that memorable phrase maybe you've heard before, God loves a cheerful giver, right? And so God has no need of our begrudging offerings. He doesn't need what we would contribute uh, in, in a guilt-ridden attempt to avoid shame. He, he wants to see our hearts transformed so that we would hold our position, possessions hold our possessions loosely and we would give generously to others and so you hear it in passages like Ephesians 4:28 this is a, a new testament command given to to relatively new believers trying to help them order their lives in a way that honors the lord and Ephesians 4:28 says let the thief no longer steal but let him work with his hands so he's able to give he's able to share With anyone in need. So, in other words, obedience to the Lord is, is not just thieves stop stealing, it's stop taking from other people so that you can work with your hands and then from the abundance of your work, you can give to those in need. That's what godliness looks like. We're not just to be people who don't take stuff, we're to be people who work hard and give to others. The opposite opposite of stealing is working and being able to lend to others. And so in this passage, we see God's people giving in a variety of ways. And my my pastor used to define uh, giving in terms of these three words, and they're kind of stuck in my head as categories. Uh, We see people giving their time, talents, and treasures, to the work of the Lord here. And you can see it in a few different places. You see the people giving their time, like in verse 10 of chapter 35, it talks about these skillful craftsmen coming together and they're putting time into building all this stuff. Again, remember what they're doing is they're taking all these materials and they're turning them into this tent, this massive structure that is is built according to specific instructions. And all of that takes time. Some people are giving their talents. And so at the beginning of the chapter 36, uh, Moses talks about how God has given some a spirit of skill and intelligence. They're actually able to do this. Some people uh, had, get, had, had received gifts to be able to sew fabric and form the, uh, the poles that would support the tent and all these different pieces. So they gave their talents to the work. And then they're also giving their treasures. And this is where it's pretty amazing because remember Moses' call is, is broad It's general. And and he says, I want you to give out of the generosity of your heart. As the Lord moves you, you come and give what you think would be appropriate to give. And if you read on in chapter 35 and 36, what you find is that many of the people, Moses says, men and women are coming together. They're bringing their goods and so much so that Moses has to tell them to stop. You've, You've provided so much. We don't even need the rest. So he, he starts by giving them this general call to contribute and they respond with so much energy that he actually tells them to slow down. Now, i would never heard a pastor do this in, uh, in the modern world. You guys are giving too much. We need you to do something else with your money, right? Uh, it's, but it, it should be the kind of response we see from God's people to God's grace. This is like in the New Testament when that lady uh, comes up to Jesus and, and breaks a bottle of perfume and, and washes his feet with her hair. It's extravagant. We might call it reckless. It's it's just giving unto the Lord because you're so overwhelmed in response to his grace. And so there's an important thing happening here in this passage that is not about the dollars and cents or the materials provided, because what's actually happening here, what we see displayed in the people doing all this, is they're actually in, in a very literal sense putting their money where their mouth is. I remember last week when we talked about is God going to go with them and the people repented, we we said they took off their ornaments and that was like a sign of contrition and sorrow and grief over their sin. It's one thing to be sorry for your sin, it's another thing to repent and change your ways. So the people who had formerly used these things to build a golden calf are now bringing them to the Lord and saying do with them whatever you would have. So they're putting actions behind their repentance. They were not just sorry for what they had done, but, but their hearts had been transformed to where now they were eager to serve the Lord in a new way. So that's what we see in these pages. And my question for us this morning is if that's how they responded then, how much more so should you and I respond generously to the grace we've received? because they were forgiven for a single episode and given this promise of a land that they were going to pursue. We have been forgiven from every sin. The Lord Jesus has died on the cross to pay the penalty for all that we have done. God raised him from the grave to give us new life. He He set him on the throne beside him to reign over all in the future, and we are told that someday we will reign with him how much more grace have we received? And so how much more generous ought we to be? And I think as you're thinking about what that looks like for you, maybe you can think about those same three categories. that We're called to be generous with our time, with our talents, and with our treasures. And I'll just say to you, you know, life is such that sometimes you have an abundance of one and a scarcity of another. And so uh, I remember as a college student, When uh, I didn't have a whole lot of treasures to my name, I remember a very wise older man saying, You know what you have that some of the rest of us don't have? You've got a lot of free time on your hand. I remember thinking, I don't have free time. I'm really, really busy. And he started kind of listing off the things I was doing. And basically, you know, I wasn't really required to do any of them. (laughs) And so I had the option of setting aside some things I was doing and freeing myself up to give more time to the local church, to the work of the Lord to whatever you know, so for you guys that are college students for example i don't know if you know this but in a few months your semester is going to end and um, unless you take summer classes we don't really have anything for you to do in the summer i don't mean we as midlands i mean like your universities don't really have anything for you to do in the summer so you've got this big gap in your schedule you can do whatever you want with that when you're married and have kids you don't have three month gaps in your schedule where you can just disappear life doesn't work that way okay You have like three-minute schedules where you try to, you know, get away for a moment. Uh, But you've got, you know, this big chunk of time. And so I I ask you, what are you going to do with it? How are you going to be a good steward of that time that the Lord has afforded you this summer or next Christmas or whenever those gaps may come? Uh, Different seasons of life, you may have a greater abundance of talent. You may have a greater abundance of treasure. Uh, But the the point of, of that is I would just encourage us, Let's not focus on what we lack, but let's focus on what we possess to give. Okay, instead of this is a hard season where I don't have as much money, I can't give as much as I would like to, let's think about, okay, I, I can't give as much as I would like to financially. I'm, I'm doing all I can to pay my bills and, and keep my family fed and, and care for them. But what do I have that I could give to the work of the Lord? That, that's, that's the kind of question that comes from a generous heart. So we see the Lord here pleased with the people as they give cheerfully. And then the third thing is the Lord is pleased when His people fulfill their calling. Uh, besides Moses in these passages, uh, in this passage I should say, there, there are three people mentioned by name. A couple of them we've met already. This guy Bezalel and Aholiab. Uh, it says the Lord gave them a spirit of skill and He inspired them to teach others. And so these were the contractors. The Lord had given them some skills to actually build these things. Again, we're building a literal physical structure. It's meant to be beautiful. It's meant to be glorious. You can't just let anybody do that. And so God gives skill to certain people to be in charge of that and even to teach others so that they could do their part. It's a nice little example here of the leaders in Israel maximizing their effectiveness by multiplying themselves. They didn't just try to do everything themselves. They taught other people and got them involved. And then there's this other guy, if you were to look in chapter 38, verse 21, uh, named Ithamar. Uh, he, is, he seems to be appointed as some kind of administrator in the process. Basically, he wrote down everything that happened, and he recorded all the materials that are used. So if you read through chapter 38, it'll tell you exactly uh, how many of certain jewels they used and all this, all this different stuff. Ithamar was the guy writing it all down. I like thinking about him just sort of wandering about the camp with this little stone clipboard in hand and counting up everybody's uh, materials and what they're doing. And I'm sure that was a real fun interaction with the artist. Artists are not typically inclined to things like math. And so you you can just imagine him sort of pencil pushing his way through the camp. Well, how many things are you doing and what are we doing here? And writing it all down. But the point is, he was faithfully doing his part. God had a reason for wanting to record exactly what the people used here. They were all bringing these materials in. God wanted it recorded in His Word, exactly what they put to use. And without Ithamar, there would be no record of this. And so He faithfully did His part. So these three guys and the unnamed men and women referenced throughout the passage, I think they illustrate the importance of God's people finding their place in God's work. There's a, a great passage in the New Testament that provides kind of a commentary on this in 1 Peter 4. You don't have to turn there, but uh, 1 Peter 4 verse 10 says, "...as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace." And then Peter gives a few examples, and then he says, "...in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ." So what 1 Peter tells us is that we ought to, we ought to look at ourselves We have to think about our talents and abilities that are unique to us as a gift from God. God has given you unique talents and abilities, and He has purposes for those gifts. They're intended to demonstrate in some way His varied grace. And the key word there, being varied, multifaceted. That means uh, not not everyone is going to be gifted to stand and teach Not everyone is going to be gifted to lead the music. Not everyone is going to be gifted to build the things that are necessary for uh, the community to function. But God in His mercy has given each of us unique talents and abilities and He he has purposes for those gifts and we are called to be, as Peter says, stewards. That means they're not ours. They, They didn't well up out of our hard work and even out of our training. But there's something God has given to us. And so I think this passage invites us to reflect on the work we do and to just honestly assess, how am I doing with the gifts God has given me? Let me be a good question to think about in your community group later this week. As you reflect on the work you do, as you reflect on the talents you possess, do you view them as a gift from God? Do you view them as a, a (laughs) money-making venture? Or do you view them as something that God has given you so that you can serve Him and so that you can serve others and ultimately so you can display His grace? And what that looks like for you to do that is going to look very differently than what it looks like for me to do that or for someone else to do that. Part of the adventure is finding out what those gifts are and what those good works uh, happen to be that God has prepared in advance for us to do. All right, last one. Let me get a sip of water. <clears throat> Pardon me. All right, fourth principle, we'll uh, just land here quickly is that the Lord is pleased when his people work together. This is a beautiful picture here. The work is completed, the people work together, they bring it before Moses, and he demonstrates God's delight in their obedience by blessing them. This is what we want our church to look like, Midlands. This is what we are laboring toward here. Uh, In the end, this is really all that matters. There will come a day when we will take all that we are doing individually and corporately as a church and we will lay it before the Lord. And what we work toward in these days is not to reach a certain size or to meet certain metrics or to reach certain goals in this world, but we labor toward that day when we will lay all that we have done at the foot of our Savior and we pray that we will hear those words from Him, well done, good and faithful servant. That's, by the way, why you take such joy in completing a project and hearing someone else affirm it. That's why your kids right now can't wait for me to stop talking so they can explain to you what they're drawing. There's something in the human heart. We were created to work. We are created to put our gifts into practice for the sake of others. And we're actually created to hear from our God. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we want to labor toward. And I want to pray that as we reflect on this passage and others, that the Lord would continue to build us into that as a people. So I'm going to pray for us in just a moment. And then uh, we're going to take communion together as a church and uh, we do this weekly here at Midlands. I want to give just a couple instructions. Then we've got a few folks uh, here for the first time. So uh, communion is something we do at the end of each service. It's, it's a way for us to commemorate uh, some of the things I mentioned earlier, particularly the uh, the life and death of Jesus. Uh, when He was here on this earth, uh, he shortly before He went to the cross, He took some bread, uh, He took some wine, and He said this represents my body. This represents my blood. Bread is going to be broken for you. Blood is going to be poured out for you. And I want you to take of this. I want you to take this meal. I want you to repeat this meal over and over and over in remembrance of me. And so we do that here weekly. Uh, We don't see any reason not to. And so we do it here every week at the close of our service. Uh, But this is for us a moment of faith. It's, a, it's an act of faith for us as a people. So you don't have to be a, a member of Midlands Church to take communion with us, but you do need to be a follower of Jesus. If you wouldn't consider yourself a follower of Christ this morning, it wouldn't be appropriate for you to, to get up and go to the table in a moment because what we're doing is expressing our faith in doing that. What I'd invite you to do is, is just to remain in your seat. Uh, I'm going to pray uh, we're going to take a communion. Uh, I, I'll dismiss this in a moment. There are tables at the back. There's bread and, and juice. You do that on your own and then return to your seat. And we're going to close in a couple of songs as we, we praise God for what He's done in our lives. But uh, if, if you're with us today and you're a believer, we invite you to partake in that and celebrate with us all that God has done. Uh, if you're here and you just wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, you're just not really sure where you're at with the Lord, I would invite you to take this time and reflect on what you've heard. And and think about some of these things we said today about why you exist. Why you were created. Think about that that desire in your heart to please someone. Maybe you've been living for that your whole life, trying to please a parent or trying to please a professor or trying to please a boss or a spouse or, or whoever. Know that you were created to please your God that He would delight in your obedience. And not just in the work you do, but beginning with obedience to the call to come to Him and receive Him as Lord and Savior. And you can do that even in these moments while we're praying, while we're taking communion. If you'd like to talk more about that, I'll be in the back and I'd love to talk to you more. So let me pray for us and then we'll take communion and then we'll sing a couple songs to close us out. Lord, thank You so much for Your Word and thank you for your sustaining grace, Lord. I pray that you would help us to uh, take these things that we have heard today and put them into practice. I, I know it is Sunday morning and we are, we are focused on you and as much as we ever are this morning. And uh, shortly we will leave from here and we will go to other things. We have projects awaiting us at home. We have uh, things to get started on this evening And, of course, we go back to work in the morning. We go back to school this week, and we all have things to do in front of us. And so, Lord, I pray that as we approach those tasks, as we approach those projects, as we approach that work, I pray that we would seek to do it in a way that honors you. And I pray in this moment, Lord, that your spirit would draw us near, that we would cry out to you for mercy, for help, And Lord, that even now you would transform hearts among us. We ask that in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.